Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to Lauren Graffin. Lauren had a really difficult journey through her PhD process and she shares her story with us today and talks about how she managed loss, how she looked to maintain balance and how she learned to sit with her feelings and she gives all sorts of really useful advice. And so I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here all the way from Wyoming, ladies and gentlemen. There's no expense spares here. <laughs> Flying people in. <laughs> Thank you. And, and um, I was just saying, I, I really, really appreciate you being here because um, you reached out and said that you were your, your journey has not been an easy one and that you wanted to mm-hmm. share what you learned with other people. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. No, I'm I'm happy to share. I feel like I, I've learned a lot. So the the best thing that can happen is to 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 share that with with somebody else, and it might help. We are going to squeeze the wisdom out of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always start with asking people um, about their experience of um, the PhD. And I know this links into some other things that we're going to talk about because your experience of loss um, and your um, working to achieve balance are kind of two key themes we're going to dive into but to just give us a sort of general overview of that journey through and then how you've arrived at where you are today in Wyoming oh yeah okay um well I did a I did a PhD in drama my uh background was I to be honest I was in drama all the way through school I was your very typical uh over dramatic child that everybody met and said she should be on the stage. Love it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of was in it all the way through school and outside of school. And um, it became very clear to me through secondary school that uh, I was going to end up in the arts somewhere. It was just a matter of where. And um, I ended up going to the University of Ulster in Northern Ireland and doing a degree in drama with, with a minor in Irish history. I had wanted to go to the University of Manchester and I didn't get accepted. Um, so did I. They didn't accept me either. See, oh what do they know? What do they know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't get accepted. So I was a bit annoyed. I ended up, God, God love University of Ulster, but I got, I was a bit annoyed. I ended up there because I wanted to to leave home and because I felt it like it was important right. to see other places. Um, but anyway, I because of that, I ended up spending my summers doing like Camp America and I ended up getting randomly placed in a summer camp where I worked with people who were blind and visually impaired so I I ended up becoming really interested in working with people with disabilities and then I combined that interest with theatre which led me towards a master's in an applied drama at the University of Exeter so I went there for my master's yeah and then I did a thesis on on disability arts and culture but I felt like I got to a place where I would always be an outsider in the work because I didn't have a disability and I wondered how much I could offer but whilst I was at Exeter I kind of had this chance to be exposed to lots of really cool theatre companies um, 
one of which was Rights and Sites. And after I looked at oh, their goodness. work, yeah, they were a site-specific theatre company, so they were working outside theatres. And I found their work particularly interesting because I was looking at applied drama, where a lot of the work was aimed at um, helping people in one form or another. You know, mm. applied drama is when we um, use drama for for a social purpose a lot of the time. Mm. And I wasn't. I was twenty two at the time and wasn't very comfortable with this idea that I could help people, which <laughs> it nice. felt like kind of a big something that was a bit big for me so I really liked Rights and Sites Works because they seemed to offer invitations to communities to become involved but by no means were trying to help people right which then became my PhD I had this niggling question about how we could engage people in and community without having um the goal to help because that's all I saw in Northern Ireland so much of Northern Irish community theatre was about fixing the problem mm. um so that became my PhD was looking at um how we performed in community in place in, in post-conflict Northern Ireland kind of outside our conflict identity so wow. that was how I yeah I ended up doing a PhD at Ulster but I I um, chose Ulster because at the time when I was applying to do my my PhD, I, I'm I'm from Northern Ireland. My dad was very ill. I wanted to be closer to home because um, I knew I would need to support my mum. Mm. And on top of that, I, I had had a really good teacher in my undergrad, um, a gentleman called Paul Devlin, who had very much encouraged me in my work. And I had wanted to work with him because I knew that I was going to go through a rough time emotionally with dad and I needed to work with someone who I felt was going to support me as a person and not just the work that makes sense that makes absolute sense and what a smart choice because I think a lot of people don't think so much about that relational part of of of, um the PhD in terms of the relationship with your supervisor the pastoral aspect of working with your supervisor um Mm. and it can often get quite sticky um so Mm. yes that really smart and we're going to come back to that kind of moment in in a in a minute in terms of that that PhD moment but we're going to just fast forward to in terms of finishing the PhD and then and then what happens after to you because people are really interested in people's journeys in I guess yeah so I finished the PhD and again I I, I, I don't know in my 20s I just lived a life of extremes <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if anyone, anybody else is like that but I was in a long distance relationship with my now husband my husband's American um so I ended up before I never attended my graduation for my PhD because I I emigrated to the states and mm-hmm. Um, because I married my husband and then um, I wasn't allowed to work for nine months, which was, I went from a period of like really intense work to not being allowed to do anything, which I don't recommend. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, so I moved to the States and I, once I was allowed to work, I worked as an adjunct in a couple of different uh, colleges in in California, which was a, a really wonderful experience actually, because I went from teaching in Northern Ireland to teaching in a very very diverse culture and working with uh institutions that were like 80 percent hispanic and latino so wow. that was a really i learned a lot in the mm. working in, the, in those institutions and then i was applying for jobs all around the states and actually got one in wyoming so i started that this year and as a full-time tenure track position amazing how's it going yeah 
it's all really good it is I'm really enjoying it and I'm honestly just really thankful to be to be working full-time and that I got it just before the pandemic hit because adjuncts are very vulnerable at this moment in time yes so yes amazing um so thank you for that now we're going to come back to that moment as you're starting your PhD um and and your dad is not well and you're working Mm. with um your chosen teacher yeah um so tell us a little bit about what happened then um well I dad was kind of going through his stuff dad was very luck dad was going through chemo I think my first year and then got a bone marrow transplant him and my mum had to move to to Dublin Ireland we live in the north um so he could get that so I was going through all that whilst whilst doing my PhD and I kind of took made managing my kind of mental health and wellness a priority in that in that Mm. period of time Mm. and then as I my supervisor was very supportive through that process. And then as I went into my, it was the summer before I started my, my third year of my PhD, I got a phone call from a colleague, um, which was like, Lauren, are you sitting down? And nothing ever starts well with Lauren, are you sitting down? Um, But my PhD supervisor, Paul had died very suddenly. Um, He'd been on vacation with his family and, and died in the night and he was 40. I want to say Paul was and had three very, yeah <laughs> mm. he had three three very young children and was a, a very kind of focused family man um so that was sort of a mm. a big that was a big emotional hit because he had been very much I was very lucky that he had been very much a mentor and a, a very strong support system so then yes. I kind of had to figure out how to deal with that loss yes um which was which was you know I was definitely forged by fire but I I got through that but I had to do very specific things to try and um cope with that and and still complete uh, a PhD which suddenly didn't seem quite so important yes and I think this this I mean those are very um very challenging extreme situations um that Mm. came together for you that kind of double whammy for you um and but I know that lots of people do experience loss maybe not such extreme loss yeah a lot of people um experience loss through their PhD it may be that their supervisor I just was asked to take over supervision because somebody had retired um, and yeah. gone to another institution or a relationship breaks down. Um, and so there are the, these losses that happen. Mm-hmm. And as you say, then what had been your focus, maybe as you exactly said, may seem less important now, or you need to find a way to manage that because loss can be so profound and so destabilizing because the the carpet mm. is literally pulled from beneath you. Yeah, I do think I do think my my set of circumstances was pretty extreme, but I think yes. we all we all experience loss in different ways and what we shouldn't ever do is think, you know, I think there's this comparison is my pain bigger than yours. Yes. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> we don't need to move there. I think we all experience loss and it's all and they're all important, um, no matter their how extreme or what their size is. Well, exactly, and especially if it if it is a a first loss, 
that people are experiencing, which often is, and they kind of often the age that people are going through their PhD, it will be a first major loss. And that it has incredible mm. ramifications. Um, so tell us, share with us how you, how I you got, got through that. And, and got- yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I think when anybody's going through pain, hardship or loss is to recognize that the only way to to cope is to go through. You can't go over, you can't go under, you can't go sideways. Um, You have to go through because what I think the temptation is, is to distract yourself from the hardship or the pain or um, to avoid it. And honestly, all that does is it puts it off for later and amplifies it. Um. So the first thing I did kind of in the wake of that news was I took a week off. I took a week off um, just immediately. There was like no decision to be made that just I just took a week off. Um, And I sat with the enormity of the situation, which um, is not pleasant. (laughs) No. But so important um, to just sit with your feelings. And I think one thing that we don't like to talk a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about is our feelings and our emotional life but you cannot separate your work from how you are feeling at a given time so don't pretend like you can you know I I hear I hear academics say things like oh to students like when they're teaching you know leave your leave your worries at the door or leave all your stuff at the door and be present in the room basically what you're asking someone to do is to split themselves in half it's not it's not possible right um so how about we just give space and time for the feelings and then figure out a way a way to work through it. So that's what I did. I sat, sat with my feelings and gave myself time to process, process it rather than to try and bypass it. Um, and for me, that was sometimes I had wanted to be alone. Sometimes I had to have conversations with good friends and sometimes I had to, I like to spend time on my yoga mat. Sometimes I had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and it was just given space and time to acknowledge the enormity of the situation and and the hardship. So mm. that was the first thing. And then eventually when I was ready, and I'm not going to tell you in a week's time, you know, the grief was over. That's not how it works. Um, but what you do is you give, when you give yourself this sort of space and time for feelings is you open yourself up to a grieving process. And that's the thing that helps you function. Um. So I eventually, when I kind of had my head on a bit straighter, I decided to, what I think is important is that you you can often feel like you're a victim of your circumstance and you can kind of get lost in, um, why me? This is so mm. difficult. Why has this happened? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And that's, you know, sometimes an important thing to indulge in for a while, but not for too long. And I think it's because the thing about being in that space is, you're in a space of victimhood and you have no power in a space of victimhood. Yes. You're powerless. You're, you're a victim of everything else. So you're stuck. And I think there's nothing more unbearable than being feeling stuck. Yes. 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 <laughs> so I think what I did was, was to decide to accept the situation as much as I could mentally at that time and decide, you know, I can't control the situation, but I can control how I respond to it and to really spend some time thinking about how I was going to manage this, this new reality. Um, and for me, that was learning to listen to myself and think about what I really need it and then to communicate that to others. Um, 
which is not easy. I was just going to say, <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Listening to yourself is not easy, especially in that kind of situation. So were there yeah. particular things that you did to kind of tune in to what you were thinking, what you were feeling? You said yoga yeah. mat. That's Yo- Yoga mat was a big yeah. one for me. And I know it's different for everybody. For some people, it's like going for a run. For some people, it's cooking. For some, you, need, you know what your thing is, and that's your thing that you need to do where you can figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to do that, but I also... Um, I had lots of conversations with different people because I am someone who needs to speak to process. But one of the things that was hugely important to me during my PhD that I kind of accidentally stumbled into was... I had kind of a writing practice that was separate to my PhD. People probably think I'm crazy. Why would you want to write any more than you already have to? But um, to try and manage my mindset, sometimes I'm one of those people when I have repetitive thoughts, I have to just write them down to, first of all, realize when they're just crazy, mad ideas and then and that they they shouldn't be taking hold in my brain. And also just to think about, okay, how do I, how am I feeling? What's going on for me? How do I move through this? Um, I can do it easier on paper than I can, than if it's going round and round and round and round my head. So that was an important part of my process too. And that was an important part for my process prior to, to Paul passing away was that I, to figure things out, I had to write it out. Um, so that was a way that I kind of, listened listen to myself and then it was a matter of trying to communicate to others what I what I needed and what was the best way to do that and that's very hard uh, particularly when you're in your early 20s yes and you're talking to people who you know are so much more experienced than you have had so many PhD students come through and for you to say I know you usually do things this way but that doesn't work for me I'm going to need x y and z um mm that's hard when you're 20 that was honestly very challenging for me in my 20s um and I had to sit down and have those conversations with my with my new new supervisors um but I think I was lucky in the sense that I'd already completed two years and had a strong sense of what my working patterns were and what I really needed to to do to manage my project and and to move forward and for me a lot of it was around how feedback was delivered and just really basic mundane practices um, that I I need it. Um, so so yeah, those are the profound things, aren't they? Those are the profound things, especially feedback, especially that. Yes. Of, yes. That can be <laughs> really difficult because there's a vulnerability in that. And, uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic that you – were able to do that and um, so I have a lot of conversations with people around around this and in, around kind of managing that situation mm. um, and I loved what you said there too about the kind of the reflective writing and the journaling because that can be such a powerful practice um, as you say for life not just for in the PhD process but for life um, and I really would recommend people exploring that if they if they haven't already yeah did you have, did, were there any texts that kind of help you into that or you just intuitively found your way into, into that? Um, there were, there were different things that I was, I kind of became obsessive about looking after myself during my PhD. So I read a lot and I watched a lot. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie, it definitely was, as I mentioned earlier, a space of procrastination for me. But um, 
there was some different I, I remember at the time when I started my PhD the only reason I started a writing practice because it was when do you remember when wellness was like super exciting and everybody was talking about writing your gratitude lists do you remember Love that? It. It was Love li- it. yeah I still, I still do I'm still there yeah. I'm still <laughs> yeah and people people think it's a bit naff but actually I, there were some days I would sit down at my computer and I would just not be motivated or I would just be in a kind of negative Nancy mood and I would sit and write down what I was grateful for and why you know I am grateful for x because of this mm-hmm. and I always felt better when I did it it helped me move into a different headspace um so I did that quite regularly so I kind of started with that and then I was reading I read a lot of hippy dippy stuff so I don't okay. know if you if other people <laughs> want to hear this but at this time I got exposed to this woman called Gabby Bernstein who's like <sighs> a lot of a lot of academics are like oh god some new no, I love something. her you are me yeah. we, are, we, are, we, we are you're my lost twin I've now I'm now convinced of this Gabby Bernstein love her yes yeah Look loved her because she's so, brilliant yeah I loved her because she had very clear like action plans step one step two step three for moving through things yes. and a large yes. part of her work is actually having a, a writing practice so I did that and to be honest I it really did keep me seeing um so I did things like I would write down what I was grateful for but then it kind of really developed from there and funny when I, when I was preparing for this podcast I started to look back on on some of the things that I'd done and I'd actually forgotten about some of the things that I'd done but some of it was when I was having a day where I clearly was feeling like a failure or I couldn't do something because that was something that came up a lot for me I can't do this I'm not capable um was I would sit and write out what I was scared of like because often I remember reading this really good book at some point in, in my PhD it was a book called Emotional Agility by this woman called Susan David and um she was like a Harvard psychologist I want to say and uh she talked about um, about emotions and she said you know emotions are just beacons um they're signs of something that's going on underneath you know they're the the visible sign but there's something else going on and for me you know when I was feeling I came out of say a a supervisory meeting where maybe I didn't get a lot of positive feedback you know I would feel like I can't do this I'm no good Mm. um you know there was a lot going on underneath there that was a bit more than anger frustration and worry and so I had to kind of dig deep and, and I used that writing practice as a way to do that to go well what is actually what's my fear here and then I would write it down on paper and read it out loud to myself and go that's nuts <laughs> that's nuts <laughs> but I wouldn't have recognized that until I put it down on a piece of paper um exactly and you're and it's kind of the thing isn't it we're the only ones who are really entitled to say that to ourselves because if you said it to somebody yeah. else and they said that's nuts you'd be like well actually do you know what <laughs> whereas if you say it to yourself you can kind of really commune with yourself in that way absolutely yeah absolutely but I also like I remember I wrote, looked back at that stuff the other day and I did things like when I wasn't feeling great I wrote down you know why am I proud of myself what have I done to be proud of myself so far yeah. And then you put it down in paper and you go, holy crap, I've done a lot by 25. Yeah. Yeah. Let it, you know, stop, stop beating yourself up so much. Um, so that, yeah, was definitely, definitely a, an important part of me sort of maintaining my sanity. And a lot of the time it was very basic things. I don't think I can fix this section of my PhD. Okay. Well, what can we do? How can we tackle this? And writing it down in steps for how I was going to approach it. 
And the reality is that what you're going to do is you're going to read your comments, you're going to walk away for a couple of days, you're going to come back and approach it with a creative attitude, try and find the solution, send it for more feedback and repaint. Yes. But sometimes that feels impossible. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I've, I've just written down this quote, stop beating yourself up so much. That is, that is the quote. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I think because it is, it, it can feel so tough and we make it harder for ourselves sometimes. And I do mean, yeah. I make it harder for myself sometimes. I do mean. And it, it feels very personal. And I think sometimes what is hard about the PhD is you sit down and you face yourself every day in a way that you don't in other jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are right face to face with yourself. Yeah. And that's not always easy. <laughs> no, it's not. But I sometimes you have to remind yourself of I'm not I'm not as bad as what the voice in, maybe in my head tells me sometimes. And also f- it is about you know what are the great things what are the things that are thriving in my life rather than what are the things that you know I'm amplifying that I'm maybe not doing so well and I think sometimes you have to put that down in paper and read it and then you go do you know what I'm not I'm not so bad and there and it it makes it much easier to move into a space of kind of peace and contentment and that's where you do your best work and I think that's why it's so important for you to take to really acknowledge what's going on in your head and and what's going on with you emotionally because when you're in a space of contentment and peace that's when you do your best work it's not when you're swinging from the extreme highs to the extreme lows no I love that um There's so much good stuff in there. And now I'm going to ask you <laughs> to, to give one top tip out of all of that. Um, or indeed, in addition to all of that. So in terms of thinking about, I, I loved what you, you you talked when we were emailing backwards and forth. You, you talked about making balance the goal. And so we've got that in there. We've got that in here. We've got this sense of how to deal with loss, how to um, stop beating yourself up, how to make balance the goal. What yeah. would be your top tip or top tips to take away? Um, well, one of the things I think was kind of the idea of maintaining balance is I think mm. we're often really geared towards achievement. Mm. Um, and, you know, how many conferences can we get to? How many papers can we get out? How much practice can we do um, on top of the regular work of the PhD? Because I need to come out of this as kind of a competitive uh, researcher. Um, in a never shrinking market right so you get kind of stuck on that on that hamster wheel and you can if you think of yourself as being like a pendulum you kind of swing really far to the left and really far to the right between these extreme highs and the extreme lows and you also can set yourself up for this idea that um, that when I get to x I'll be happy and that's very dangerous you know we call it the I think they call it in, in psychology like the arrival fallacy that when I get to x I'll feel and actually, I think there's a lot to be said for trying to be in this space where the pendulum's kind of in the middle and you're in a space of contentment yeah. rather than these extreme highs and extreme lows. And I think one thing people should always do is just really take the moments to appreciate those moments where you have pockets of contentment. So for me, I remember being in my second year and I was at that point where first year I kind of didn't really know what I was supposed to do every day. Uh, second year, I knew what I was supposed to be doing every day and I was reading and I was getting into the really good stuff and I was really enjoying it. And I had a thumbed up PhD and I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. 
I'm getting paid to think big thoughts (laughs) and think about this thing that I love. So one of my top tips is really just instead of thinking about the big goals, um, I think this idea of productivity and and goal, you know, setting goals is important um, in the world that we live in. But I also think, you know, don't think that the best day is going to be when you hand in your thesis it'll be a massive anti-climax instead kind of take moments in your day to appreciate the kind of the lovely parts of the PhD process where you're just really content you're just really enjoying yourself and where you've had the space and time to think about stuff that you love and enjoy I think that's one of the best things you can do that's so gorgeous and so achievable for everyone to just have that moment thank you thank you for that um and thank well thank you for all of it um for being here for sharing your story for sharing all those strategies um for being my twin (laughs) (laughs) mostly um thank you so much lauren and um we will in the show notes we'll have um the references and things um and more information um but for now thank you so much lauren for being here and thank you for listening to be here